You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Beloved God's Word, from the book of Matthew, chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the desert of Judea announcing, Change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. He was the one whom Isaiah the prophet spoke when he said, The voice of one shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. John wore clothes made of camel hair, with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and all around the Jordan River came to him. As they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Many Pharisees and Sadducees came to be baptized by John. He said to them, You children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. I baptize with water those of you who have changed your hearts and lives. The one who is coming after me is stronger than I am. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will be spirit and with fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn. But he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. And at that time, Jesus came to Galilee, to the Jordan River, so that John would baptize him. John tried to stop him and said, I need to be baptized by you, yet you come to me. Jesus answered, Allow me to be baptized now. This is necessary to fill all righteousness. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. And when Jesus was baptized, he immediately came up out of the water. Heaven was opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God coming down like a dove and resting on him. A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son. I take delight in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, beloved, that's a long reading. I felt like maybe having a different voice read that would be helpful. So please keep it in front of you. We know this John, don't we? John is the one called John the Baptizer, or affectionately called John the Baptist. Now, we know John and his God-ordained, God-confirmed ministry. He's the cousin of Jesus. And Matthew offers a glimpse of John's ministry here in this story. Change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. That's what John preaches. He preaches it to any who will hear, including any religious and political leaders of his day. But let's not miss something now. In Matthew's story, the Pharisees and Sadducees, which are the two predominant ruling parties, ruling religious and political parties, they're in attendance here. And these religious and political parties had a history of colluding with King Herod, trading in faithfulness for power. And not even John could convince them or their supporters of this. So John decides not to mince words. 
You heard it read. The text tells us, Many Pharisees and Sadducees came to be baptized by John. That's what Matthew tells us. Matthew goes on to say that John said to them, and listen to this language, You children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father, or that we have the right lineage or heritage. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce, produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. This is strong language, beloved. It could be labeled divisive language. I imagine John knew his attendance numbers and baptism numbers may dwindle each day. But John was more committed to the truth of God than anything else. He knew the weight of his God-ordained, God-confirmed ministry. Lord Jesus, be with us. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds. Holy Spirit of God. See, beloved, John didn't hesitate to enter into ethical and moral debates. If you read Matthew chapter 14, you learn that John didn't hesitate to call King Herod to repentance. John's concern wasn't focused on Herod's legislative policies for Galilee alone. It was his moral character. See, John knew that policy is always a reflection of character. And so if character could change, maybe policy could too. John had no boundaries or apologies for his desire to see righteous, just, and godly character in the lives of those who claimed righteousness, justice, and godliness. John knew that if what he sees does not reflect love, make for peace, uphold truth, promote what is just, show mercy, and point to what God says is holy, then it is not of God, no matter what one says or how many times they worship in the synagogue. And that was Herod's problem. John's deep love for God and all who listened to his sermons is what compelled him. Of course, Matthew tells us that when John directed his prophetic words specifically about King Herod to King Herod, it landed him in prison and cost him his head. Some thought John was crazy. Some thought he was too radical. But history sorted it out. And Matthew tells us that John did all of this for one purpose, beloved. One purpose, and that was to point to Jesus as the promised king of God's kingdom. So Matthew tells us that Jesus comes and John baptizes them. And, and we are told that Jesus is receiving baptism so that all righteousness can be fulfilled. In other words, Jesus must publicly declare John's words and show that if one is to receive the kingdom of God, one must commit to a changed heart and to living a changed life. That's the deal. That's where John is headed, and it is what Jesus receives. And religious and political leaders would later debate this in Matthew chapter 21, verse 25. You can look it up. And Jesus has to remind them that the origin, the meaning of baptism, is assigned by God in heaven. So we don't get to change. We think about it just because it may be inconvenient. 
And so Jesus is baptized, and Matthew tells us in our text, that the heavens open up, the Spirit of God comes down and rests on him as a dove, and a voice from heaven says these words, This is my beloved Son, I take delight in him. This is Matthew's way of telling us that Jesus' baptism is the inauguration of his ministry. More specifically, and beloved, catch this. Jesus' baptism is a demonstration of his allegiance to and solidarity with the coming kingdom of God. And what else is beautiful about this text is that Jesus' baptism is not only Jesus' already with the kingdom of God, but it's also God the Father's allegiance to and solidarity with Jesus. See, in Jesus' baptism, the Father announces God's delight in Jesus. And take note, before Jesus ever performs a single miracle or an act of ministry, the Father is pleased with Him. So I want to remind us today of two things. I want to remind us of two things that I believe far too many of us who are baptized forget. Here's the first thing. In your baptism, God is pleased with you. In your baptism, in your faith response to God's love and declaration of solidarity with God's kingdom, our Heavenly Father wants you to know that God is pleased with you. God is pleased with you because in your baptism, you became one with God and God's purposes. God is pleased with you because in your baptism, you declare your allegiance to God because of your trust in God's love. Long before, long before you ever do one good deed in Jesus' name or keep one single command, in your baptism, God says, you are my beloved child and I take delight in you. Isn't that beautiful? It's all grace. It's true because this is how grace works. And baptism is a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace because its meaning and purpose comes from heaven, not from tradition. God has assigned the meaning to baptism. It's true in Jesus' ministry and it's true after His resurrection. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that God's announcement during Jesus' baptism should echo in our hearts as we remember our own baptism. You are God's beloved child. He takes delight in you. See, in in both, in our baptism, we both receive and become one with God through the love of Jesus. We no longer now have anything to fear, right? Like we no longer have to fear failure or our past. We no longer have to fear our present or our future. Especially our future, beloved. And when we do fall into fear, We think of our baptism and we remember God says, I got you. See, in your baptism, in our baptism, we announce a belief based upon God's assurance that Jesus has redeemed our past, is redeeming our present, and will redeem our future no matter what troubles come. God, through Jesus, inhabits our past dwells in our past, inhabits our present, and inhabits our future. Wherever we go, God remains with us. So please listen, beloved. We have no business 
fearing a future God inhabits. Remember your baptism. The fact is, we live in a power-based society, right? And, and power can be a fearful thing. Because it's a society based upon power tells us that the strong thrive and the weak struggle. Society based on power tells us that wealth is power, poverty is weakness. Self-exaltation is power, and submission is weakness. But in Jesus' baptism... And in Jesus' life, we learn something different about power. Jesus' life and allegiance to God and to God's kingdom announces a different kind of power. Power is expressed and experienced through self-giving love and what others would call weakness. Power is expressed and experienced through, are you ready for this? Not a popular word, submission. That's why Paul reminds Christ followers in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Please listen to this. Receive the word of the Lord. Let us receive it, Lord. May your own attitude be like that of Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. May your own attitude be like that of Christ Jesus. Or in a better translation, make your own attitude like that of Christ Jesus. That's Paul's command to the readers of his letter in Philippi. Make your own attitude like that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God a Slaved to sin, beloved. When we choose in our hearts and minds to die to believing all the promises made in our land of broken promises, and that we live into the promises made by our Lord who keeps promises, we will experience the freedom given to us by God's Spirit. We will be liberated from the enslaving ways of the reign of sin and death. So this brings me to the second thing I want to remind us about our baptism. The first thing is just in your baptism, God sees you and says, this is my beloved child, I take delight in you. Here's the second thing about baptism, and don't miss this. Baptism is about which kingdom you belong to. When Paul's writing in Romans 6 is understood as connected to Romans 5, we learn that we are baptized. And when we are baptized, we are welcoming and now representing the kingdom of God above all else. We have chosen to change directions with our allegiances and affections away from the reign of sin and death and toward the purposes of God. The reign of sin and death seeks to permanently divide us, church. Even while we live in the midst of all that mess, our baptism reminds us that we belong to the kingdom of God. And that has the power to change our minds and hearts by the Holy Spirit and overturn the human categories 
of separation. So are you ready? In that way, our baptism is our naturalization ceremony as citizens of God's kingdom. We are baptized into Christ. Not even into the church. We're baptized into Christ. We're not baptized into America. We're baptized into Christ. And this changes our identity and our reality of community. And it's supposed to reorient our lives toward the King, our King Jesus. And it's supposed to reorder our allegiances and affections. And we should want it to. Because baptism marks the promise of God's victory over our lives. It's assured. Like Paul said to Colossians when he was actually talking about baptism, in Colossians 2 verses 12 through 14, he closes with this statement in verse 15. He says, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them. All the rulers and authorities of this present age, which includes all the nations, have been disarmed in the heavenlies. We are children of the King and people of His kingdom and that power flows into our lives and is because of Christ. And it is ours. The victory and the power is ours. Beloved, we are not the source of this kingdom power. Christ is. We are not the cause of this victory. Christ is. We did not secure this victory. Christ did. Can you hear it, beloved? Can you hear the voice of the Father from the throne room of heaven say to you, you are my beloved child, I take delight in you. All your worship, all of your obedience, all of your participation with God and God's mission should flow out of that eternal, divine declaration of God's love and delight in you. God is the only one worthy of our affections and our allegiance. He is who we long to know. And our baptism has declared it. And here's the reality. We can't live in the abstract with this message. This message, this idea that baptism means that God delights in us and are His beloved children, and that baptism is about which kingdom we belong to, it can't be abstract. It has to be concrete. It may be an otherworldly truth, but it has worldly implications. So what does this mean for us today in this moment? First, I want to be clear. I have not pledged allegiance to Biden or the Democratic Party. I have not pledged allegiance to Trump or the Republican Party. I have not pledged allegiance to any other political party. I have not pledged allegiance to the United States of America. I have not pledged allegiance to political liberalism and political conservatism. I am a follower of Jesus. I am a Christian whose allegiance is pledged only to my king, and I have no more allegiance to share and give because that is what I declared in my baptism just like you. And we promised... In our baptism, we promised, read Peter, we promised that we are committed to learning how to live out that declaration as Christ's followers. And all of us living in the USA in 2021, 
part of the meaning that God has assigned to our baptism makes us God's beloved children, and that makes you and I family. But another part of the meaning God assigned to our baptism calls into question any earthly allegiances to any earthly agendas, leaders, and nations. We have been adopted into God's family and naturalized as citizens into the reign of God's kingdom. There is no dual citizenship in the teachings of Scripture. There is citizenship in heaven and pilgrimage here. We are called sojourners and exiles living in just another Babylon of church history. We agreed with God that we would do the concrete work with our words and actions to reflect love, to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers, to uphold truth, to show mercy, to promote justice, and point to what God says is holy. That's what we said in our baptism. So as your brother, one of your pastors, and as a minister of the gospel of King Jesus and all my imperfections and sin and in all my wrestling with our land of broken promises, I am concerned only with us learning how to live out our declaration of our baptism. I am concerned only with how we as Christians represent our Christ. And like John, please take note, please hear me. And like John, if it does not reflect Christ-like love, if it does not make for peace, if it does not uphold Jesus' truth, if it does not show mercy, if it does not promote what the Scriptures teach as justice, and if it does not point to what Jesus says is holy, then it is not of God, no matter what one says or how many times they worship in a church building. Sins against our neighbors in the form of violence and hatred encouraged by the enemy-making machine of Babylon will be held accountable to God, as well as all men and women who are complicit. The gospel of God's kingdom speaks to all of life and every life, from the womb to the, great, to the cradle to the city streets to the grave. And the gospel speaks to every belief and ethic we hold as true and just. The Christian life is not as the bumper sticker suggests, beloved. Jesus will not be our Savior without being our Lord. All of this is our baptism and what it means. And all of this is what we mean when we say that Jesus is King. It's about living faithfully into the greatest command our Lord taught us, which was to love God with all that we are, our neighbors as ourselves, and including those we might call enemies. Now, with that said, and to run some risk here, perhaps affirming what some of us may suspect of me, or what others have, who have left in years past are fond of saying, I need to be clear today in the name of Jesus Christ our King, because I have to answer to Him. So I must be clear and concrete in our current moment so that my conscience is clear. What happened in our nation's capital on January 6th is evidence of who we have always been as a nation. 
a people chasing all sorts of idols in the land of broken promises. We saw that day. From the violence accompanied by materials made for homemade napalm, Molotov cocktails, cocktails, pipe bombs, guns, four attendees dead, plus a Capitol policeman, is a tragedy. But what we saw on TV, and please listen to me, please hear me, what we saw on TV was not simply about, it wasn't simply about a protest or riot or upheaval or insurrection or acts of terror or act of sedition or whatever else anyone wants to call it. When we, the church, consider what we saw in light of our faith, it is much deeper than that. What we saw is what the Christian scriptures and what this Christian tradition has long called heresy. Heresy is a set of false beliefs committed to misplaced allegiances and misguided affections wedded with a version of Christianity that defames the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. See, many that participated in what happened on January 6th confessed to be Christ followers. They wore Christian apparel, waved the so-called Christian flag, and lifted signs and banners with the name of our Lord Jesus on them. And this political movement has been wrongly, associ- has been wrongly fueled and associated with false prophecies, false prophets, and false teachers, all of which is proven false by their fruit. Beloved, with whatever political party agenda you support, just don't be deceived. Let's not be like the Pharisees and Sadducees who are readily collude with the King Herods of our day. Leaders who grab for power through prideful lies, violence, and injustice. Beloved, let's not get it twisted. This isn't just about a president or administration. It isn't even just about our nation. That is far too simple and reductionist. This is about a generations-long ideology and a belief that arises straight from the pit of hell that the true church has named as such for 1,900 years. It's nationalism. And in all forms, nationalism is a sin against God and is antichrist, no matter who promotes it. White supremacy, white superiority, in all forms, is a sin against God and His Antichrist, no matter who promotes it or tries to explain it away. Actions speak louder than words. And when either one of these are wedded together with Christianity, implicitly or explicitly, you can be sure it is Antichrist. It is heresy. So, beloved, here's where the feet hit the pavement in our current moment. Our baptism is our declaration of allegiance to and solidarity with all that aligns with the heart of King Jesus. This form of nationalism and the misguided allegiances and misplaced hopes it promotes, along with the paranoid deceit it brings, breaks the heart of King Jesus. Christians cannot support what breaks our Lord's heart. Christians should not follow the nationalism put on display January 6th in our nation's capital that was proudly accompanied by racist symbols of anti-Semitism and white supremacy highlighted by Christian apparel, signs, and banners. 
If someone chooses to support it, they can call it whatever they want, but they cannot call it Christian. Because if it does not reflect Christ-like love, make for peace, uphold Jesus' truth, show mercy, promote what the Scriptures teach as justice, and point to what Jesus says is holy, then it is not of God, no matter what it says on a t-shirt. Beloved, let's remember our baptism. And hear the words of Paul who said to the young pastor when he wrote 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, Flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Remember your baptism. It doesn't look like love. Love for neighbor and love for enemy. It is not of God. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 